banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the Challenge of the Super Friends. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 114 of the Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is it. This episode will be the completion of my coverage of the fall 1978 season of Super Friends, the season commonly referred to as Challenge of the Super Friends. I will be covering the last two weeks' worth of episodes. That includes the new Super Friends episodes, Journey Through Inner Space, and the Rise and the Fall of the Super Friends, and the challenge of the Super Friends episodes, Super Friends Rest in Peace, and History of Doom. And yes, when you hear the dates that I mention in this episode, you are going to hear release dates that are post-Superman the movie. Like I mentioned last week, since these two weeks are the only episodes of Challenge of the Super Friends to go beyond the initial release of Superman the movie, I decided to cover them here so that I don't have kind of an orphan Challenge of the Super Friends episode hanging out on the other end of Superman the movie. I feel that's going to work pretty well, because after this, I will be able to launch into Superman the movie month starting in October. And like I mentioned before, that's going to be five weeks of coverage of Superman the movie, so I hope you're as looking forward to that as I am. But before we get to things, I have some... I have email from Dave McElvenny. And others, too. But Dave was writing in specifically on Man of Screen, episode 103. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Well, this is certainly a Superman-centric episode, and I approve. He is, or should be, first among equals in any version of a DC universe. In The Water Beast, I liked your comment about Superman flying through the Water Beast. What did he expect would happen? Having a villain called Manta certainly seemed a mistake on the part of Hanna-Barbera, and the Water Beast doesn't seem like the best possible threat to the assembled Super Friends. Really, but it does apparently make them submit to Manta. Thank goodness for bat freeze gas that eventually helps lead to Manta's defeat. In Attack of the Giant Squid, I do like having Superman team up with Aquaman, who is close to being as strong as Superman, and due to his pressure-conditioned body, is probably less vulnerable to harm than ordinary humans. The Mind Maiden is pretty standard fare for its day, with the ridiculous male fear fantasy of being eliminated by women in control of the world. It looks a bit dated now, but it could have been worse, I suppose. Overall, we are seeing more true villains like Manta and Medulla, whose motives are world domination. We still have the, some of the misguided do-gooders like the Dome Heads and the Collector and Dr. Pisces in Attack of the Giant Squid, but I like seeing actual villains. Good villains make for good stories, as a role. Live long and prosper, Dave. As always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I really don't have anything to add to your comments on the episode in general. You know, I ad- addressed my thoughts on Manta during episode 103, and... Yeah, the Mind Maiden is definitely dated now, especially, um, you know, in this world where women are fighting their way toward equal pay, equal rights to men. Seeing an episode like this is very uh, of its time, and the only way to properly view it is to kind of put yourself in the kind of mindset of society at the time. Not easy in all these decades later, but that's kind of the only way to enjoy an episode like that. Just kind of take it at face value, and this is what they were writing at the time, and kind of move on from there. One of the things that I really don't like is when people try to put modern sensibilities on older material. It just doesn't work. And in a way, it's intellectually dishonest. So no other real comment other than thank you, Dave, for writing in. And I've got some other emails to uh, go through. I've got some stuff here from Brian Rosen. He left some Facebook uh, messages as well as an email. We'll start with the email first. So Brian writes, It's always a blast hearing yourself mentioned in and your email being read on a podcast. Thank you for sharing. There were quite a few of your episodes that I've missed recently, so I'm listening to those over this Labor Day weekend. I think you're doing a great job on the commentaries. Well, thank you, Brian. Right now, I'm on episode 103. As I said in my first email, I grew up with this show. I'm just about a year older, so the Super Friends will be turning 45 this month, and I'll be 46. Well then, at age 5, I was in awe of the main heroes, as well as the Wonder Twins. Gleek entertained me at the time. 
Now, maybe not so much. I don't remember every episode from the first two seasons of Super Friends. It wasn't until the challenge of the Super Friends that the characters and plot started to get my attention. But the world's greatest Super Friends episode that stands out to me was the the mind bait. Between the digitizing of the men, the robotic voice, and the glowing eyes of the women, it freaked out my pre-adolescent self. I'm pretty sure a remnant of that episode stayed with me when I saw Superman 3. That would explain why the scene where the villain's sister is absorbed by the computer still creeps me out every time I see it. We'll write again as I get more into the challenge of the Super Friends episodes coverage. Have a good week, Brian. So thank you, Brian, for writing in. And the only uh, note I really want to make on uh, Brian's uh, email here... Again, thank you for your praise on the job I'm doing uh, commenting on these episodes. The only uh, correction I want to make to Brian's episodes, he referred to the Mind Maidens as a world's greatest Super Friends episode. Technically, that was part of the all-new Super Friends hour. That is what season two was labeled. The next season I'm going to be covering, season four, is titled The World's Greatest Super Friends. Just a little bit of uh, not important bookkeeping, but just wanted to kind of keep uh, that straight. The Mind Maidens, which aired season two, was part of the all-new Super Friends Hour. And season four is The World's Greatest Super Friends, which I'll be covering after Superman the movie. I left uh, some feedback on on the Facebook postings. These come from the Two True Freaks podcast group. And uh, Brian wrote regarding episode 103. After hearing commentary on The Collector, it makes me think that, that the Domeheads were the first hoarders before that term became widely used. Also, did they live somewhere close to France? That... Without watching the episode, Brian, I don't have an answer to. At least not without going back and watching it, which I have not done. But maybe they did. I don't know. And yeah, they were definitely uh, at least the first recognized hoarders, I would say. I'm sure many of us uh, comic and uh, superhero geeks uh, can probably use that term hoarders when it comes to our own collections. But we're not collecting nearly the types of things that uh, the Domeheads did. And I have another email. This one is from Mark Tremper. Subject is, thanks for the coverage. And Mark writes, Hi, just a quick note to tell you how much I'm enjoying your coverage of the George Reeves Adventures of Superman. Always was an obsession of mine, and and it is enjoyable to listen to you and sometimes co-hosts talk about it. Thanks for the efforts, Mark. Well, thank you, Mark, for writing in. And uh, the Adventures of Superman, that was, I ended that over a year ago now. Hard to believe uh, even that is so far in the rearview mirror at this point. But covering the... uh, Adventures of Superman with George Reeves was a lot of fun. The, I put the episodes I did with Bob Fisher above and beyond, obviously, the ones that I did by myself. But that is definitely a block of this podcast that I'm uh, very proud of. And, Mark, I hope you're sticking around. I mean, yeah, some of this animated stuff in the 60s and 70s is hard to get through. But, you know, you're welcome to uh, stay along and uh, kind of enjoy the ride as much as you're willing to do. I'm really looking forward to further future high watermarks in... Uh, as this podcast goes, and I'll be honest, I am looking forward to the launch, which actually probably would have launched by now. The uh, By the time this episode drops, it'll uh, DC streaming service uh, will have launched, and I bought it just on the back content alone. The av- availability of the classic content, the Christopher Reeve movies, the just everything that's going to be available is going to make this podcast a lot easier for me without having to track down all of the material that i don't already own i own most of it but i don't own all of it and just the fact that i'm not going to have to buy every uh future season of the super friends ruby spears superboy i already own lois and clark i own the superman animated series but not justice league so just not having to buy that stuff is going to make the 75 bucks i pay for the streaming service worth it as this podcast uh rolls on and think of all the movies on now i'm probably not gonna have to buy my uh yearly subscription will take care of that so i'm looking forward to to the DC streaming service on just that level. And that's without mentioning all the other stuff. So that's that. I really don't have anything else to say on the uh, subject. If you want to uh, join in on the feedback, send me an email, manascreen at gmail.com. Right now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the new Super Friends episode, Journey Through Inner Space, and the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Super Friends Rest in Peace. Hang around, folks. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... The Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you 
JLU cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had original broadcast date of December 16th, 1978, making these the first episodes to be released after Superman the movie. And I'm going to start with the new Super Friends episode, Journey Through Inner Space. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. To save Aquaman's life, Wonder Woman and Superman must be reduced in size and travel to the center of his brain. Ugh! Uh, what? What happened? Nothing special, Aquaman. You've just had a busy day. That's right. We'll tell you about it some other time. Oh, no. Has anybody seen Gleek? Last time I saw him, he was in the Hall of Justice. That's funny. I could swear I hear him around here somewhere. Not much of a synopsis there. Basically, this is... The Super Friends doing uh, the Fantastic Voyage. Uh, I don't remember the details of that movie, but or I think it might have even been a book too. I don't know, but basically they shrink down and go into somebody's bloodstream to save his life. Then there have been numerous stories done in various media, kind of adopting this concept. So now the Super Friends are going to do it here. So we've got these two pilots that are bringing the world's most dangerous element somewhere, and one of the engines on the plane is overheating, and it looks as though they're going to crash into the ocean. Of course, to illustrate the danger, the box says, Extreme Danger, and it's coming loose. Meanwhile, there are some other guys in a diving bell checking out the deepest place on Earth. I'm not sure if they're in the Marianas Trench, but it is a place that has been recently discovered. I'm not exactly sure when the Marianas was discovered. That is uh, regarded as the deepest part of the ocean. But this place is maybe even deeper than that. So Aquaman, meanwhile, informs them that the uh, trench is caving in, and the wire breaks, and Aquaman saves them. And Aquaman does it with his own strength. It's nice to see Aquaman doing some heroics on his own and not asking the sea life to do it for him. And then here comes the plane. It crashes into the ocean. And miraculously, the fire on the left wing disappears as the plane hits the water. Aquaman doesn't call for backup and he goes to save the plane on his own. And now he calls his kind of backup, the sea life. And the giant octopus comes by and he puts the two pilots on top of a couple of porpoises. And when the pilots tell Aquaman of the deadly radioactive device... Aquaman simply says he will take care of it. He doesn't give it any indication of how he's going to take care of it. He just does. So now, of course, Aquaman says he has to take it to the government before there's an accident. And wouldn't you know, there already was one as there's a rupture in the yellow box and some red rays, which are coming out of a hole in the box, illustrate the radiation. You wouldn't ordinarily see the radiation as it's invisible, but the little red wave is mostly serving as an aid to the viewer. And Aquaman collapses. So, at the Hall of Justice, while this is all going on, Wonder Woman is writing a letter to somebody when the trouble alert comes from Aquaman, and he's in pretty bad shape, and he looks like he's about to pass out and possibly die. It's the trouble alert emergency relay. Batman, Wonder Woman, need help. Mid-Pacific, coordinates, R, 3R, 16. Hang on, Aquaman. Superman's in your area. We'll have him fly out immediately. Hurry! Jupiters! We lost contact with him! There's no time to lose. We've got to get in touch with Superman. Superman happens to be in the area, which, honestly, at the speed Superman can fly, he's in the area as long as he's on the planet. And Aquaman is being affected by the radiation, and he devolves into a shark-like creature with four legs, which kind of surprised me, because as the narration mentions that Aquaman is devolving into the creature from which his species evolved, I always thought... Atlanteans, of which Aquaman is one, were mutated humans from the sunken city, or if there was magic involved, that turned land breathers into ocean breathers. So I thought they just would have devolved into apes or something, not this weird shark monster, which, during the course of this episode, I referred to as Aqua Shark. So if you ever hear me talking about, and you will, hear me talking about Aqua Shark in this episode, that's going to that's gonna be how I describe the mutated Aquaman. Now, when the Super friends say that Superman is in the area. Basically, what they mean is that he's screwing around with some scientists and the shrink ray. Which, judging by uh, the synopsis of this episode, that's going to come in pretty handy, I would think. You know, here we go. Chekhov's uh, shrinking ray. 
Superman is very excited when the shrink ray shrinks an elephant, and why not? It's remarkable seeing an elephant, we all know how big those are, shrunk down to something that can fit into a man's hand. But while Superman is being excited, the Troubler contacts him and he goes after Aquaman. I wonder how Superman is going to react to what he's going to find. Now, I really wish the narrator wouldn't tell me that disaster is about to strike. Now I'm waiting for Aquashark to do something as he grabs the diving belt. I would rather not know something was going to happen and let it unfold in front of me. Now I'm waiting for it. While I'm waiting, Aquashark is climbing onto the ship and Superman notices and points out that he has to find Aquaman later. If he only knew right now what he'll know in a few minutes. Uh, Superman discovers the shark has super strength and when he scans it with his infrared vision, he sees an outline of Aquaman inside of it. That beast has got super strength. I'd better scan it with my x-ray vision and find out its weak spot. Oh no, it can't be. I've picked up an infrared image of Aquaman. Something must have changed Aquaman back into his prehistoric form. That giant beast is Aquaman. I'll need these chains to get him back to the Hall of Justice. How Superman knows that, I don't know. Aquaman could have just as easily been inside the belly of the beast. But Superman makes that leap in logic anyway. Somehow, just by seeing a shadowy infrared outline of Aquaman, that tells Superman that the shark is Aquaman. The shark could have just as easily eaten Aquaman. Or swallowed him whole, I think. But, like I said before, I thought Atlanteans were people once, not shark monsters. But maybe they were shark monsters. So Superman brings uh, Aqua Shark to the Hall of Justice, and apparently the army knew the radiation could do just that. Great to have around. I can only imagine the call. Oh, yeah, yeah, we thought something like that might be able to happen. Great, thanks for letting anyone know. Apparently the answer is to give Aquaman a dose at the center of the brain. I can't believe it's true. It is, Wonder Woman. According to the army's information, the radioactive isotope they lost could cause just such a transformation. It's Aquaman, all right, and we've got to try to change him back. Holy dead ends, Batman. Nothing we've done seems to affect him. Judging by this EEG, the damage started in Aquaman's brain. That is correct, Wonder Woman. Atomic analysis indicates the only way to reverse the effects is to give him another dose of the radioactive isotope within two hours. Another dose? But that'd make him worse. Negative, Batman. If the second dosage is given at the center of his brain, it will have the reverse effect and bring Aquaman back to normal. But that's impossible. A brain operation like that would kill him. Maybe not, Wonder Woman. With a new device the Japanese invented, we may be able to shrink ourselves down to microscopic size and travel safely into Aquaman's brain. It's our only hope, Superman. Robin and I will recover the isotope. I'll meet you back here with the shrink ray. I don't necessarily know how the computer knows this, but it does. The computer just looks at anything and it knows the answer. It's, the computer is probably the smartest member of the Super Friends. And this is when uh, the shrink ray comes into place. Like I mentioned, check off shrink ray. Now, Batman and Robin get the isotope, and it's good that it's no longer contaminating everything else in the ocean. So good to know they got it out of there. Who knows what some of the other sea life will devolve to. So the doctors are concerned about what the shrink ray will do to Superman and Wonder Woman as they're going on a fantastic voyage into Aquashark in a shrunken supermobile. So another uh, interesting use for the supermobile, as apparently as Superman shrinks, his powers will be affected. So hence the uh, inclusion of the, of the supermobile. And it probably also serves to protect Wonder Woman from the uh, whatever they're going to find inside Aquaman's body. So now they're in a tiny bottle and they're going to be injected into Aquashark. And hopefully Superman's a good pilot. And we find out that in an hour, they'll be in Aquashark's brain. And we're seeing all kinds of animation representing uh, the inside of Aquaman. We're seeing things that open in ventricles, that open and close. I don't know what this is supposed to represent. At first I thought that this was maybe Aquaman's heart, but we're going to get to that later. Maybe Aquashark has multiple hearts. I don't know. So they're attacked by a virus cell, and Superman picks it up and throws it. And then apparently it sent out a distress call to more virus cells, and Superman kind of plays the game of kick the virus, as one of, but one of them captures him and his tendrils. And now, uh, in the outside world, Gleek is doing what Gleek does best, which is causing trouble. And he uh, manages to, to turn the shrink ray on, and he shrinks the chains that are holding Aquashark. And that causes it to break loose and get away. And now we have more problems. Not only do Superman and Wonder Woman on the inside have to find a way to get this radiation to Aquaman, but now said Aquaman beast is uh, out causing trouble, playing a game of Rampage. But, you know, Gleek is like having a cat, always causing mischief when you don't want him to. So uh, Batman and Robin are chasing Aquashark, who knocks some dude off the high steel, and Robin catches him with the bat net. Very handy having the bat net around. So Wonder Woman tries to help and thinks of something else to help Superman face the viruses. And apparently all she had to do was turn on the headlights, and they all went scattered away. I guess they liked the dark of the inside of Aquaman's body. 
So, as soon as uh, she's done uh, winning the battle for him, Superman banishes Wonder Woman back to the backseat. It is, after all, his supermobile, and only he gets to drive it. None of that is actually said in the episode. That's just my head uh, interpreting what happened. So now they're in Aquaman's windpipe, and his breathing is being represented by a whirlpool. And apparently none of the extracurricular activity outside is affecting Superman and Wonder Woman on the inside. So Aquashark can do whatever he wants, but Wonder Woman and Superman are, I guess, small enough that they uh, aren't affected by the fact that he's moving and thrashing about. So now Aquashark nets Batman and Robin and keeps chewing on the incomplete building. And now Zan and Jaina will go help, and they cut Batman and Robin out of the net. Zan turns into a pair of ice clippers, and Jaina a gorilla. And Zan actually did complain, I think, that cutting the net hurt. But you know what? If you don't want to be hurt, don't become a pair of ice scissors. At this point, we get to one of my favorite lines in the episode, as Superman says, Can't control the supermobile. We're being sucked down the esophagus. Great Hera will end up in the stomach. There's something you don't hear every day, and now <laughs> they're actually being digested, as they're worried about Aquaman's stomach acid, dissolving the supermobile. So they gun the engines and get out of the stomach and pierce the blood vessel and travel to the heart. And I hope they didn't create any internal bleeding while they're popping through blood vessels. My guess is it's small enough that it's easy for just to get through without causing any damage. Now this red thing that is opening and closing is apparently Aquaman's heart. And these red blobs that are flying around are supposed to represent red blood cells. And, you know, I guess, like I mentioned before, they're so small that the outside activity doesn't affect them at all. So Batman and Robin fight Aqua Shark into some power lines, and you'll believe a shark monster can dance as it does little jig as, as it's electrocuted. And of course, just as the moment gets critical, Superman and Wonder Woman lose contact with the scientist, and they have to go on their own. So as they're traveling around, Superman announces that they're in the brain, kind of the way my GPS announces when I cross state lines. So while the supermobile is being attacked by brain cells, they let out the radiation, and while Aquaman is uh, reverting back to his true form, they escape through the shark's mouth, before he reverts. So they get out just in time as the effect of the shrink ray wears off. And apparently Aquaman doesn't remember what happened. And a shrunken Gleek is in Zan's ear. Somehow he got shrunk too. I don't know how that happened, but it did. You know, for the sake of a joke, I guess. Now, this episode didn't particularly break any new ground. Like I mentioned before, it was basically Super Friends doing Fantastic Voyage. But it was a lot of fun. I am not necessarily buying that Aquaman evolved from a shark monster. But, you know, what can you do? That is what they decided that Aquaman is going to evolve from. Now let's move on to the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Super Friends Rest in Peace. And this synopsis as well is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. The Super Friends are mourning Batman's death. I can't believe he's really gone. I understand, Wonder Woman. He was a true friend to all of us. He gave all he had to protect freedom and uphold justice. So long, old pal. We'll never forget you. No, Robin. And although his true identity must remain a secret, the world will always remember him as Batman. Holy funeral, Superman. I still can't believe it's happened. It has, Robin. And it could happen to all of us if we're not extremely careful. I can't help feeling ashamed about hiding in the Batcave like frightened mice in fear of our lives. We have no choice. A small mistake in any one of us could wind up lying beside Batman. The Bat Satellite will allow us to tap into the Hall of Doom memory tapes. We can take another look at the biggest blunder the Super Friends have ever made. Days earlier, before terror struck the Super Friends, a nearby oil well housed an unimaginable threat. Our drilling is almost completed. The Super Friends will never suspect that this phony oil rig is the cover for a much deadlier drilling operation. If not matter, soon Super Friends be gone for good. Any minute now, and we will have reached our target, one mile beneath the Hall of Justice, where Superman buried a deadly element called Noxium. It was captured many years ago from Dr. Nataz, a one-time member of the Legion of Doom, who created a new element whose radiation was capable of destroying all of the Super Friends. Now we finish the job, Dr. Nataz. Start! <laughs> Superman is tricked by Luthor into cutting into the element's crypto-steel box so the Legion can use the element. First, when Batman tries to rescue Commissioner Gordon, the Riddler kills him. Then Wonder Woman is killed by Cheetah on Paradise Island. Then Luthor and Solomon Grundy attack Superman when he tries to rescue Lois Lane and Perry White. With three heroes dead, the Legion begins a crime wave. When the remaining heroes try a last time, Luthor kills them all. With the heroes all dead, Luthor tosses the element into a sewer. The element is later retrieved by a figure wearing protective garb. 
when the Legion demands more money from nations, the national incomes of all countries will be split 50-50 with the Legion of Doom. But that's impossible. We can't survive giving away half our money. Have it your way. If you won't give us half, we'll take it all. Bring in the next delegation. And what poor nations are you from? We represent every nation, Luthor, and we're here to regain their freedom. Super friends! But that's impossible! You're all dead! Wrong, Luthor. We're as alive as we ever were. They find themselves captured by the Super Friends. I don't understand it, Superman! We destroyed you all! No, you didn't, Luthor. Those were the Super Friend robot duplicates you attacked. We were hiding in the Justice League Skylab while our super duplicates played out our parts to the last detail. They were programmed to fail, so you'd think we were all dead and throw away the Noxium Crystal. I retrieved the crystal from the sewer and got rid of it for good. And now that the Legion of Doom is under control, the Super Friends can finally rest in peace. Alright, so this was an interesting episode for a kid's cartoon. This episode premiered in 1978. Kids are watching. At one point in this episode, it appears as though all the Super Friends are dead, which is remarkable that that got through. I mean, yeah, you find out at the end that it's a, basically a ruse on the part of the Super Friends to outsmart the villains, but when you when a kid watched this episode for the first time, they didn't know that until the end. I can only imagine how a kid felt watching this episode, watching the Super Friends die over the course of a half hour, and then coming back and being triumphant, but... That must have been heart-wrenching for a kid, watching their favorite heroes get killed by the villains in the first part of this episode. Like I said, I'm amazed that something like this actually got to TV. Much heavier than regular episodes. And it's an ominous title with an ominous start. We're in the graveyard, and apparently we're at Batman's funeral right off the bat. But I will say this, Batman does have a nice bat-shaped tombstone, though. The combination of a cross and the bat symbol. And uh, meanwhile, the Super Friends are hiding out down in the Batcave, and they go to the uh, computer. So we can see the biggest blunder they ever made. Even that's ominous. So, the Legion of Doom, we find, is drilling not for oil, but they're drilling for where Superman hid some kind of dangerous element under the Hall of Justice. Apparently this is where Dr. Nataz, a previous member of the Legion of Doom, created an element that can kill them all. At least all the super friends, not all of the Legion of Doom. So the element is protected by a Kryptonian metal, so they need to trick Superman to open the box for them. Not an easy task, you would think, but they get the job done. The Hall of Doom attacks the, the Hall of Justice, and basically the Super Friends watch for a minute before defending their home base. Green Lantern tries to stop the Hall with a Construct mousetrap, and then Superman talks some crap to Luthor, who blasts him with something. Superman basically shoots his heat vision at the Crypto Steel box, and out comes the Noxium. I'm not necessarily sure about the framing of this episode, which basically has the Super Friends watching their greatest failure on, basically on the Batcave TV. But now we move on to Cheetah and Scarecrow, who are harassing Commissioner Gordon. I would have swapped in the Riddler for Cheetah here, but I guess not. He does actually show up in the Gotham segment, which I was glad of, as he shows up on the road in his Riddler car. And now we've got a chase through Gotham City as Batman almost collides with a garbage truck. But the uh, convenient Bat Rockets get him over the truck. So Riddler hits Batman with the Noxium and he falls down. You know, Batman's human, so you really wonder if you need this element to destroy him, but... I guess for the sake of cartoons, you do. So back in the present, the Legion is celebrating Batman's death. At last, the Legion of Doom has the upper hand. Batman has been eliminated. Yes, and the Super Friends are defenseless. All we have to do is lure them out of hiding and pick them off one by one. And the time has come to get our next victim. And now they're going to go after Wonder Woman by attacking Paradise Island. The o- and the only thing the Amazons can do once they're under attack is to call Wonder Woman. This warrior race clearly cannot do anything for themselves. Aquaman begs her not to go, but she spins, disappears, and goes home. Literally, as... A- and I wonder if this was a nod to the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series, which was already on for at least a year. Probably would have been sometime in this first season when these episodes started production. So I wonder if the spin, which is how uh, Diana Prince changed to Wonder Woman in that show is homaged here as Wonder Woman spins and disappears and then reappears in Paradise Island. So she deflects the Hall of Doom's beam and Luthor announces that she fell into his trap and Wonder Woman is knocked out by the element. Meanwhile, all of the other chicken shit super friends are doing what they can while they do nothing. Now we get a call from Perry White saying that Lois is in trouble. Superman, you've got to come quickly. 
The Legion of Doom has got Lois Lane, and they're about to... If Lois is in trouble, I've got to help her. But that's just what the Legion wants. If they catch you, it'll mean your life, Superman. You can't risk it. If I can't even attempt to help those who depend on me, then I'd rather not live. We understand, Superman. Good luck. And I like that speech. And it really shows Superman's conviction that he'd rather, you know, die fighting the battle than live uh, knowing that he'll let one of his loved ones get hurt. And I do believe that this is the first appearance of Lois Lane on the Super Friends. But Superman walks right into the trap. And like I mentioned before, I can't imagine the kids watching this thinking that they're watching the Super Friends getting killed one by one. So Superman gets drained by the Noxium, and when he deflects the beam with his cape in a very Batman-like pose. So Superman at least traps Grundy by running him through the printing press. That was kind of amusing. Uh, Superman sticks Grundy in the press, and he comes out wrapped up in yesterday's papers. Superman is putting out more of a fight than the others have, and Luthor just barrages him with the Noxium until he goes down as well. More than halfway through, and I'm wondering how many more of these do we actually have to watch, at least on the individual basis. Now the Marines are bringing Superman's body to the base, and... If you think you're seeing a ghost, you're not wrong. The dead Batman is in the initial shot of the Super Friends in the Hall of Justice, but he quickly disappears in the next shots. So Batman there is either back from the dead or it's an animation mistake. Listen closely, Super Friends. Wherever you may be hiding, three of your comrades are dead. Unless the rest of you leave the Earth, you will all meet with the same fate. You have exactly 24 hours. And we have the rest of our lives to ransack the Earth without those meddling super friends! I think it's time we gave the bad news to the rest of the world. Now that the Earth is no longer protected by the super friends, the Legion of Doom will be taking over. All military and police forces throughout the world will report to us directly. can't let them get away with it. But as long as they possess that deadly crystal, we'll have to know what they say. And that means leave the planet. Leave? But the world's depending upon us. We're no good to them dead, Robin. Hotman's right. There's nothing we can do. And the world folds like an old card table without the super friends to help them. Because the super friends are too busy running away from Earth. And now the world is suffering a huge crime wave because local police are useless in this show. A corrupt cop steals some diamonds, and I think that corrupt cop was voiced by Danny Dark, who also voices Superman. It sounded like him. And if it is, it's interesting hearing uh, the voice of Superman working with Luthor. So now after they steal a bunch of money, the Legion is attacking a microwave relay station, not because they want to nuke TV dinners, but because they want to control communications. And now here are the super friends all of a sudden at the communication center, and the Legion doesn't have the crystal, at least at the moment. Sinestro tries to attack with constructed bagpipe, but that doesn't work. And the Super Friends are making quick work of the Legion until Luthor deploys the crystal and kills everyone. And just like that, young viewers around the world in 1978, they think the Super Friends are dead. Think about that for a minute. And I wonder if you thought about that when you were watching this show. But as everyone is dead, Luthor throws the Noxium down the sewer. Why? You would think he would keep that around, you know, just in case he needs it down the road. I mean, that's right up there with Superman leaving the blue kryptonite in space during the Terror of the Phantom Zone episode. So, down in the sewers, there's somebody with a metal detector. He's wearing a hazmat suit, so we have no idea who this person is. Although, if you were paying attention to the previous synopsis, you know who it is. But, at the time I was watching it, not having read the synopsis, I had no idea who our uh, precious metals collector was. So now, the uh, with the Super Friends out of the way, the Legion is demanding half of every country's income. And Luthor is unmoved by their protest, basically saying, you either give us half or something or we take all of it. Kind of similar to the deal Negan uh, proposes to Rick. Grimes in The Walking Dead. Give us half, or we'll take it all. We all know how that went. So here comes the next delegation, and I love this entrance as the Super Friends show up, and Superman announces their presence, and that music kicks in. I love when the main theme kicks in as the Super Friends are kicking some butt. But, what? How? And after they win the battle, we get the explanation. The dead Super Friends were robots programmed to fail to trick the Legion to getting rid of the Noxium. Not a bad plan, but was it worth teasing the young kids? I don't have an answer for that. But I really enjoyed the ending to that episode, even though I haven't watched the whole ep- next episode yet. This, But I really enjoyed the ending to that episode, and I'm going to talk about this when I get to the next episode. I think this might have been a better finale for Challenge of the Super Friends than 
the history of Doom was. I mean, the Legion gets caught at the end of this episode. They don't escape. Nothing open-ended. I think this would have would have been a high watermark to end the season on and not the way they ended it in the next segment. So let's get to that next segment, shall we? But first, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. And then I'm going to come back with the new Super Friends episodes, the rise and fall of the Super Friends, and history of Doom. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega-series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, Big Magnus, Big Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is The Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of The Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega-series. Be there in February 2018. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com as well as iTunes. Alright, welcome back folks, and now for the finale of the Fall 1978 Super Friends season. These two episodes had an original broadcast date of December 23rd, 1978. And we're going to start with the new Super Friends episode, The Rise and Fall of the Super Friends. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Mr. Mixias Pitalik is a magical imp from another dimension who comes to Earth. I'm afraid Mixelflick is back again. Holy interplanetary pranksters! We're going to be in for a lot of trouble until he's gone. Who's this Mixelflick character? He's a cosmic joker from the fifth dimensional world of Zerf, and he gets no greater pleasure than to make a fool out of me. And with his fifth dimensional powers, he can do just about anything in this universe. Jupiters! He sounds unstoppable! Not quite, Zan. It seems Mixelplick has one flaw. That's right. If he can be tricked into saying his name backwards, Clipplesgim, he'll be snapped back into the fifth dimension for at least 90 days. But until that happens, we'd better be on our guard at all times. Batman, look! Something's happening to the Justice League monitor screen. Hello there, super freaks! I, Cecil B. DeMixelplick, am here to announce that I will soon begin shooting the greatest film epic in the history of the universe. And you, super loonies, are going to be the stars. You're wasting your time, Mixelplick. We aren't going to have a thing to do with your film. That's what you think, super nerd. You've got the first theme. I'll see you in the basement of the Jefferson Department Store, and don't be late. It's very unprofessional. Jefferson's department store, isn't that the one that's about to be demolished? Yes, Wonder Woman. But there's no reason to play into Mixelplick's trap. Besides, he never said when to show up. It's the trouble alert. Super friends, we've just gotten a report that someone's illegally entered Jefferson's department store. Our patrol cars are being kept out by a strange force field. We'll take care of it, Chief. The rest of you wait here. I'll put an end to Mixelplick's film before it gets started. The rest of the Super Friends long to be rid of Mr. Mixias Pitalik, but the only way to get rid of him is by making him say his name backward. Jupiters, what happened? It seems Superman had the last laugh and tricked Mixelplick right back into the fifth dimension. 
Looks like Mixoplex is the real super dunce. And now we'll have some peace and quiet for at least 90 days. I doubt it, Superman. Look! Okay, before I go forward, we need to talk about the imp from the fifth dimension's name. The proper pronunciation of the name, what I've heard from people in DC Comics talk, talk about it, the way it was pronounced in Superman the Animated Series. Hell, even Lois and Clark was close. The imp's name is Mr. Mixia Spitalik. This show calls him Mixelplik. No, not Mixelplik, not then, not now, not ever. The character's name is Mr. Mixiez Pitalik. I don't care what Alex Ross tells you or what this show tells you. It's Mr. Mixiez Pitalik. All right, I got that off my chest. So these two scientists are working on some kind of android, and it's a complete success. So that's good. It's a big, giant, robotic-like thing, and they've done a good job creating it. So there you go. And now here are two members of what they they identify themselves as the Mixelplik Gang, when actually they're the Mixies Pitalik Gang. Mixelplik Gang probably rolls off the tongue better, but like I said, Mixies Pitalik, not Mixelplik. And they look like old-time mobsters with their Tommy gun lasers. They even call them Tommy lasers, just as I finished typing that note. And they shoot the other android and kind of take it out, I guess. Really don't hear much about the other android uh, beyond this. Now, at the Hall of Justice, Gleek is flying like Superman. His tail is suspended from a pipe, and a fan gives the impression that he is flying as it simulates the wind in his face. Then he basically ties the fan to his tail, and it pulls him around the room, kind of like a balloon, and you let the air out of it. You know how when you uh, blow up a balloon, hold it back, and then when you let go, and it kind of flies around the room in no particular direction? That's what happens to Gleek, except Gleek has a fan tied to his tail. All this for a gag where Dr. Carlston calls to mention that the robot gangsters are trying to steal the android, and Superman shows up and tries to stop them. Of course, he goes it alone and leaves the rest of the super friends at home. Now, this android is just as strong as Superman, and we get a short man in a director's chair, and it's Mr. Mixies Pitalik. Yes, like I said, Mr. Mixies Pitlick, or Pitalik, not Mixoplick. Don't listen to Alex Ross, he doesn't know. This was not Mixias Pitalik's first uh, appearance on television. He did appear in an, in at least one episode of the uh, Filmation cartoons back in the late 1960s. Even then, the name was pronounced correctly. He uh, announced his name as Mr. Mixias Pitalik. And also, as far as mispronunciation goes, Kipplezim is not how you say his name backward. That is Kiltip Sixum, or Kiltip Zizum. And Lois and Clark Howie Mandel pronounced it Kiltip Sixum. I believe the proper pronunciation is actually Kiltip Xizum. It's kind of hard to say. Mixie shows up on the screen and he announces that he's filming a movie and, and tells Superman where to show up, but not when. And then we get a call from the police, so that pretty much tells us the time. The time is now. I don't know, looking ahead, how many more times Mixie S. Pitalik will appear in a Super Friends cartoon because I do remember hearing the pronunciation Mixoplik before and. I probably was guilty of saying Mixoplik probably until the season four episode of Lois and Clark, where I heard Mixias Pitalik for the first time. I didn't catch Superman the Animated Series when it was on in first run, so I would have seen the season four Christmas episode, the title of which escapes me at the moment, before I saw any uh, Mixias Pitalik appearances in the uh, animated series. But that conversation is for a long time down the road. But the Super Friends call him... Mixoplik, for my purposes, I'm going to still call him Mixie Spitalik. So, Mixie is writing a movie called Rise and Fall of the Super Friends, and then mannequins kind of swarm Superman and pin him into position. And here's a mannequin of Lois Lane, and Superman is supposed to marry it. Very nice. And she's wearing a kryptonite wedding ring, and down goes Superman. So Mixie shoots uh, a scene of Superman being overcome, and he's sucked into the camera like a giant balloon. So Mixie calls Super Friends, and then a phone booth appears in the Hall of Justice, and Batman and Robin are shrunken and teleported away in the phone booth. Phone booth. So much for them. Batman and Robin are in the library, and they grab a copy of Mixie's script, and they've already encountered an earthquake. Now a book falls, and a Frankenstein monster shows up, and Robin calls out that it's Frankenstein, but that's not the case. Remember, for all of you who are may not be familiar with the Frankenstein story, the scientist was Dr. Frankenstein. The monster itself is not Frankenstein, although it seems culturally that is something uh, we have assigned, the name we've assigned to the monster. But Batman gets it right, calling it a Frankenstein monster as he 
contacts the super friends. But Mixie cuts in on the call, and Mixie gets his shot for his movie. So Batman and Robin charge Mixie, and he uses a light to capture them in a roll of film. Nice. No, not even a double exposure. So here's something creepy, as uh, Mixie Spitalik is next going to talk through Gleek. And then it gets even creepier when Mixie's face actually replaces Gleek's. I can't tell if that's an improvement or not. Think of what Gleek generally looks like, you know, a blue monkey. Now think of Mixie Spitalik's face on top of a blue monkey. Or maybe you don't want don't think about it if you want to hold down your lunch or something. It's a very strange looking shot. Ugh. But it is what it is, I guess. It's Gleek with Mixie Spitalik's head on him. <laughs> So at this point, I'm kind of wondering who's uh, next. Is it Wonder Woman or is it Aquaman's turn? And we're going to find out that it's both, as Aquaman and Wonder Woman are summoned to the junkyard. So they nearly get hit by a car, and it's a scene right out of the film. And the script, and they actually show a shot of the script page. And I was quite surprised to see that if you have the patience and blow up the screen enough, you can actually read the script. I'm going to give it a shot here. It says... And it's very blurry, but I can't see that it actually should be words. Camera pulls in on a copy of Mixie Aspitalik's script, which lies on the front seat of the car. Wonder Woman says, I think he's left us a copy of the script. Wonder Woman's... I can't make out what it says there, but but I can make out that it's letters. Yeah, I can't. It's blurry enough that I can't make out the individual letters and the words. I can make out the bold stuff. I can see stuff that looks like Wonder Woman and Aquaman and stuff throughout, but I can't make it out well enough to actually read it. So, oh, well, it's amazing that they didn't just kind of hold up a sheet of paper with a bunch of uh, kind of squiggly lines on it and call that a script. Somebody went through the effort to actually type in a page from the script and put it on that animated shot. You know, it was really never intended to... That's a kind of a remarkable effort when you consider that it's not really was never meant to be seen on a screen much larger than what thirteen inches. I mean, maybe I could have blown it up more or something and seen what it actually said, but I don't know if it's ever cleared up that much. Probably get all pixelated now, but there was an effort to put an actual script page there, not just animate the typical squiggly lines which represent writing. So that I thought was pretty cool, and uh, they eventually wind up in a compactor, and that completes another one of Mixie's. Uh, Scenes. So now, with, the, with their individual stuff being done, all the super friends have been delivered to a haunted mansion. You know, like when Superman picks up the script, it's all. And then here, when Superman picks up the script, it's all scribble. So the super friends have several dressing rooms, and when Superman refuses to play along, Mixie puts a chicken on his S shield. You know, that's the type of thing that Mixie has Piddlick would do, just to uh, get Superman's coat. So they all end up in their dressing room after uh, Windy create Mixie creates a giant windstorm and. There are so many bad puns here. You know, Batman says they won't fall for a trap. And as soon as he says that, the floor gives way and they fall onto a board above some lava with a pendulum axe swinging above them. I mean, that's just one example. There are so many more. And of course, Batman has a computer in his utility belt that tells him the trap is an illusion. You know, a little belt-sized version of the uh, Justice League computer at the Hall of Justice. So Batman's efforts are rewarded by a huge trophy Batman, which sends him away. And now here are a bunch of Wonder Women in the Hall of Mirrors, and they all chase her. And with less than four minutes to go, the gags are starting to get old as Wonder Woman falls into another trap. So now Mixia Spitalik has the heroes set up to destroy each other. And somehow through magic, Superman kills Batman in the film, and that then makes quick work of Robin as they're all forced to act out the script. But all of a sudden, there's a problem with the script. And bear in mind, they're all thin there fighting while holding the script in one of their hands, so... Oh, weird. You don't see very many movies with the fighters holding the script. Unless it's a Mel Brooks movie. Maybe that, maybe that's what Mixie's going for. I don't know. So anyway, Superman gets to a line where he says there's a word he can't make out. Or claim, like I said, claims he can't. And he asks Mixie to read it. And then he says his name backwards. Please, Superman, spare me! I will spare no one. You, Wonder Woman, are about to... What's the matter with you, Superman? Read your line and finish her off! I can't make out the last word. You super dunce, give me that! It's simple. The words, clipple skim. <gasps> no! You've tricked me into saying my name backwards! But how? It was easy, Mixelplick. Your fifth dimensional mind control doesn't affect me. I used my heat vision to rearrange the ink molecules on my script and change the last word. I'll be back, Super Smarty, and I'll get you for this! And I love the look of shock on his face. You know, his face gets all contorted, the monocle that he's got in his uh, right eye, I believe. 
kind of just flies out of his face and hangs suspended in the air as he's shocked and he just realized what happened and he's gone. So apparently one of the uh, things Superman can do with his heat vision is change words on a page, okay? That's great. Now, Gleek is filming, but at least he told us this episode is over. Not a bad episode. You know, typical Mixie Hospitalic fare. The mispronunciation of Mixie's name drove me nuts. It probably could have been a lot shorter, but it needed to fill 21 minutes. And I found the individual takedowns of the Super Friends to be a bit monotonous. But if you like episodes that feature Mr. Mixie Hospitalic, or begrudgingly Mixelplick, as he's called in this episode, then you'll enjoy this. But otherwise... Let's move on to... The History of Doom. And our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Three aliens find the Earth is now lifeless. In the Hall of Justice, they find the Justice League tape put Superman as the last survivor of a disaster caused by the Legion of Doom. The computer may have some data in its memory banks. This is Superman. I've got little strength left. Perhaps some future race can benefit from this final message. I am the last survivor of the incredible disaster unleashed by the Legion of Doom. I did my best to stop it, but I failed. Failed to stop what? Little time left for Earth. What could have caused such destruction? And who are the Legion of Doom? These tapes are complete. They will tell us the history of the Legion of Doom and how they managed to destroy Earth. To find out what happened, the aliens play more tape fragments. They see how when Superboy tried to save young Luthor from a lab accident, Luthor vowed revenge after being injured. You rat! Your super breath destroyed my lab and blew the gas fumes at me, causing my hair to fall out. But it was an accident. Don't lie. You were jealous of my genius. Now you'll never have this kryptonite antidote I invented for you. And I will use all of my scientific genius to one day destroy you. This one called Luther is quite dangerous. Yes, I am certain we shall be seeing more of him. Continue the tape. Justice League memory tape 13. How Giganta began by stealing magic powder from Apache Chief, the events of the Giants of Doom and Revenge on Gorilla City. And in the Hall of Doom, they see how an ion-powered rocket launched by Luthor causes a solar flare. Legion of Doom Archives File X. Super Friends Attack Plan 1566. At long last, I've devised a foolproof plan that will destroy the Super Friends in one final blow. We've heard that before, Luthor. <laughs> But so far, all your plans have been a bust! Not this time, Toy Man. Look, once we send this ion-powered rocket to the sun, it will produce an incredible solar flare aimed directly at the Hall of Justice. The Super Friends are about to have their final day in the sun! <laughs> Luthor makes the sun red to prevent Superman from helping. The flare is targeted at only the Hall of Justice, but the Justice League's global force field makes the flare produce lethal radiation all over the planet. Great galaxies, the flare is reacting with the force field. It's covering the Earth in a radioactive energy belt. There is no way to stop it. The aliens decide to secretly reverse the time stream and deflect the flare to give Earth another chance. Holy solar eclipses! The moon just saved us from a giant sun flare! It looks like the Legion of Doom blew it this time. They forgot to check their almanac. You're wrong, Superman. I did check the lunar tables. There was no eclipse scheduled for today. Should have all been destroyed. I can't understand what could have happened. Don't bother trying to figure it out, Luthor. Sometimes when you're on the side of justice, things just seem to go your way. Okay, so this is another uh, very heavy Legion of Doom episode. And we start off with images of a destroyed Earth. The Golden Gate Bridge is down. Again, 1978 was not a very good year uh, for the Golden Gate Bridge with regards to Superman content. Mount Rushmore is missing one of the faces. And the rest of the planet has, is just in ruins. The apocalypse has definitely uh, visited Earth. And there's an interesting newspaper here. It says The headline says something to the effect, The end is near and super friends are no help. Even the Hall of Justice is nearly destroyed, and it's unclear how long the Earth has been destroyed. So these three robed aliens show up on the planet, and they can't figure out what happened either. 
they identified the Hall of Justice, and apparently everyone knows about the Super Friends. And they go into the hall, they turn things on, and they find the final message from uh, from Earth as uh, Superman <laughs> leaves the uh, quote-unquote final captain's log, so to speak. Kind of reminded me of, uh, what was that Star Trek episode where, was it the beginning of the Omega Glory, where the crew, where Kirk, Spock, and McCoy go on to the dead ship and they find uh, the captain's last log entry? That's kind of what this reminded me of here, with Superman reporting uh, what had happened. So, the aliens got to read up on the history of the Legion of Doom to uh, familiarize themselves with the uh, with the players. And this gives us the origin of Lex Luthor, the pre-crisis Silver and Bronze Age version of Lex Luthor. Superboy exists in this continuity that I've seen it in places on the uh, Super Friends wiki referred to it as Earth-1A. As the Super Friends show is based on the DC uh, comics, what they called Earth-1. So Superboy goes to meet Luthor when a kryptonite meteor hits the Earth. Luther gets rid of it, and so far it's pretty true to what I know of the uh, Earth-1 origin of Lex Luthor and Superboy. Superboy builds Luthor a lab, a modern lab, to uh, repay him for saving his life. In uh, this uh, episode, Luthor was a farmer and kind of dabbled in the scientists until Superboy thanked him by building him a great state-of-the-art laboratory. So Lex creates what he believes to be a kryptonite antidote, and kind of accidentally knocked over the abika which starts a fire. Superboy blows out the fire, but some of the chemicals land on Luthor, and he loses his hair from the fumes. Now, the one thing about Lex Luthor that is true of him in any version of the character is his massive ego and basically his overall inability to take responsibility for anything in his life that goes wrong. Everything is somebody else's fault. You know, I mean, he's a narcissist. What would you expect? So he's so egotistical that he can't fathom that it was his mistake that caused the fire. And he chooses to blame Superboy and, you know, he's going to spend the rest of his life destroying Superboy because he lost his hair, which is just... Villainy out of vanity, if nothing else. So, and then he'll rub Superboy's nose in the fact that he will never get the antidote. So, like I said, pretty true to the uh, pre-Christ Earth One origin of Lex Luthor, at least as far as I know it. If I'm wrong, feel free to email me at manascreen at gmail.com and tell me how wrong I am. Now we get the origin of Giganta, which is not nearly as inter- interesting to us Superman fans as Luthor's is. We also get the origin of Apache Chief's growth power, and apparently that ties into Giganta's origin, as she wants the magic powder to make herself huge. So that explains why Giganta, I guess, is paired up with Apache Chief in the opening. So now we've got the origin of the Legion of Doom, which is primarily a reaction to the Justice League getting together. With the Super Friends working as a team, we'll be wiped out one by one. That's precisely why I've asked you all here today. They probably can wipe us out, unless we two form a bond to work together. The 13 of us will form the most powerful and sinister group the world has ever seen. From now on, we'll be known as the Legion of Doom. But we'll need a headquarters, too. Yes, as I say, it should be at the bottom of the ocean. We'll hide it under the ice of the polar cap. Your brain must be frozen, Captain Cold. The jungle is the only logical place. Silence! We'll compromise. Our headquarters will be in the swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters. Now, all we have to do is construct an impenetrable fortress equipped with the most deadly devices in the universe. And it's interesting to see that even at the jump, the uh, Legion is uh, bickering and Luther has to rein them in. Because they all want to put the uh, the Hall of Doom in different places. One wants the desert, the other one wants to put it at the bottom of the ocean. Luther compromises, which, believe it or not, villains compromising is kind of a almost impossibility sometimes. But they compromises that they can go in the swamp. So, okay. And uh, Sinestro uses his power ring to constr- to construct the Hall of Doom. So basically, this is, this episode is a clip show so far. The only difference is, at the moment, they're only showing new clips. That's going to change as we start to see the show show some continuity. As we get clips for from the Giants of Doom. So much for not having seen these clips before. Now, we're running between this and a uh, whole chunk of uh, Revenge on Gorilla City. That probably chews up at least three, four four, maybe five minutes of the episode, just of the Giants of Doom stuff that was lifted for this episode and the Revenge on Gorilla City stuff. Sometimes I wonder if this season was running out of money, because that's usually one of the reasons for including old clips. I also believe this is the first time the show has shown any kind of referring to the past. I mean, the show has referred to the past before, but it's always been the stuff that we haven't seen. I don't recall it ever referring to stuff we have seen. If they did, it's so, mi- it's so minor that I'm not remembering it. 
But here we're seeing whole chunks from it, from two episodes. So having seen some old clips, they go find the Hall of Doom, and now we find out what happened. Luthor fires an ion missile at the sun, meant to produce a solar flare, and send it to the Hall of Justice and destroy it. I'm not sure how he could program a solar flare to hit only the Hall of Justice, if that's indeed what he's trying to do. But he tries it, at the very least. I mean, the villains don't necessarily care about collateral damage, as long as they get the super friends. So Superman elects to go and stop the solar flare by himself, because he's that fast. And predicting this, Luthor turns the sun red, and turns that turns the flare red, and suddenly Superman is powerless. So, wow. Quick thinking on the part of Luthor, and... You can see that in this episode, the Legion of Doom is kind of going to win here. And we've seen the uh, Super Friends Global Force Field before. I don't think we've seen it in the Challengers of the Super Friends episode, interestingly enough. The last time I recall seeing the Global Force Field was in the Terror from the Phantom Zone. But that was a new Super Friends episode and not a Challenge episode. But it is, by and large, the same show. The Grodd gives Luthor some grief over the fact now that the Earth is going to be destroyed. And I wonder what would have happened if... The Super Friends didn't raise the shield. Would it just have damaged the hall? Kind of hard to say. Like I said, it probably would have taken out a large swath of the area around the Hall of Justice because the villains don't necessarily care about collateral damage. So now after watching this and knowing now what has destroyed the Earth, we get a debate amongst our three aliens on whether humanity is worth saving. The Legion of Doom destroyed the entire planet in their attempt to take it over. The beings of this universe never seem to learn that using force to solve problems always brings chaos. But what of the planet Earth? Do not worry, Super. We can undo the damage that has been done. But they may destroy one another again. Do they really deserve another chance, Manitou? Everyone deserves another chance. Come, we must return to the Hall of Justice. Manitou suggests he's the leader. He suggests saving the Earth despite that like many sentients throughout the universe, they never learn that waging war never helps. And that's something humanity struggles with now. I mean, look, at the, look at the state of our species now and all the wars going on throughout the world. I'm not going to get into uh, the moral implications of war here or anywhere, or any of that, because as this podcast is not the forum for that, but we are a warlike species, still. Maybe eventually we'll grow out of this, hard to say. Probably not in any of our lifetimes, but either way, constant warfare, even between superheroes and supervillains. Look what they do to the Earth. They destroy it. The unforgettable Star Trek episode. Let that be your last battlefield. Long-standing feud between two variations of the same species. Destroy the planet. I don't necessarily want to say that's where we're headed, but sometimes it's hard to believe that we're not. I know. Brought the room down there, didn't I? So, back to the show. So now Manitou will say some words, and the damage from the flare is magically repaired. You see kind of everything happen in reverse. The bridge is restored, the buildings are straightened, and they're now watching the screen again of the solar flare record. And Manitou somehow sent something back through time, and something eclipses the flare, and it never hits the Earth. Apparently, uh, Luthor doesn't understand what happened, which is good, because neither do I. But Superman just kind of basically chalks it up to luck and reward for being on the side of justice. Sure. Not a real great episode. Very little action to it. And the action we do get is from other episodes. It's even worse as a season ender. While it's interesting to see the origins of the Legion and the Super Friends interpretation of Superboy and Luther meeting, but if I were scheduling these episodes, I may have switched this to Super Friends Rest in Peace. That seems like it would have been a much better ending to the Legion of Doom season. But... That's just me, and that concludes my coverage of The Challenge of the Super Friends, the 1978 fall season of Super Friends. Next time, which will not be next week, I'm taking a week off, and then the show will return on October 2nd with the beginning of Superman the Movie Month, in which I will be joined by one of my cohorts from Fear of the Walking Dead cast, Brian Hughes, and also Patrick Delmore, and we're going to discuss the uh, first portion of uh, Superman the movie. And I'm really looking forward to that. If you have any feedback on anything from this episode or earlier, email address is manofscreen at gmail.com. You can leave, uh, if you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at manofscreencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. That'll help others find the show. So, until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo 
and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.